Welcome to Money Mastery with Marshy. This podcast is for you if you're someone who wants to develop the mindset, the skill set, and the character attributes needed to grow yourself, grow your wealth, and ultimately master your money. I look forward to going on this journey with you. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to episode number 24 of Money Mastery with Marshy. In today's episode, I sat down with Caleb Lassar, who is a sales trainer with a seven-year background in coaching, who specialized in emotional and energetic work. And I must say, I've been a big fan of his work for many years. Now, I've been fortunate enough to experience Caleb's one-on-one coaching. And from firsthand experience, I can say that he is truly world-class at his craft. In our conversation today, we unpacked Caleb's journey from sales to coaching to now becoming a sales trainer. We unpacked the capitalist versus the conscious game, which was really eye-opening for me when I first gained this awareness from his podcast. We unpacked the four stages of flow and how to get yourself back into a flow state. Plus, we went down a few rabbit holes, which I think you're going to enjoy. But before we dive into our conversation today, can you please do me one small favor? If you're following this podcast, please leave a five-star review because only 13.89% of the legends who are following this podcast have left a five-star review. And these are rookie numbers and we need to bump these numbers up if you want to continue hearing great conversations with great people. So that is all I ask. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey guys, this is Marshy and this amazing guy that I get the pleasure of speaking with today is a big reason why this podcast is even here. (laughs) Now, Caleb and I, we did some work together for a couple months at the back end of 2023 and one of the big things he discovered with me was I'd been sitting on this uh, this podcast for about six months or so. I, I was procrastinating on it. I literally had three episodes ready to go, but I'd been letting the intro music hold me back. (laughs) And then Caleb revealed behind the scenes of how easy it was and got me unstuck in an instant, which I've actually then passed on to a couple of people literally in the last week, Caleb as well. So Caleb Lassar, welcome to Money Mastery with Marshy. No, thanks for having me, man. What the intro. (laughs) Hey, thanks for coming on the podcast. You're the reason that it exists. (laughs) Cheers. Literally, <laughs> literally. And guys, I don't know, I don't know well, as you're listening to Caleb talk today, he's just, his voice is such, is just so, so you got this radio presenter voice, Caleb. It's just like, it's really soothing. Whenever I listen to your podcast, Effortless, I just feel really chilled and just, I don't know, you just got that voice. It's a beautiful voice. Well, I did study to be a radio DJ. I don't know if you know that. No, I didn't know like that. Actually, yeah. The one of the uh, first career moves that I made. I went to the New Zealand Broadcasting School in Christchurch and uh, I wanted to be a radio DJ. So the, when, the, when they asked, they're like, I want to talk for a living, which is funny because I've ended up in coaching. Uh, yeah. But that was, yeah, that was it. I have, actually have a degree. I have a Bachelor of Broadcasting Communication and Radio. Well, there you go. So what, what age were you? Is that early 20s then, Caleb? Yeah. 
it was around the time of the Christchurch earthquakes. So what was that? Like 20, far out, 13? I don't know. Lose track of time these days. It's a bit like that. Well, you're in Bali now, so Bali has its own time zone, so it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, Yeah, man, the Bali time, just relaxed. (laughs) Well, Caleb, you know, you've achieved a lot of great things in your time. It's been quite the journey, which I'm really looking forward to unpacking with you. You're someone, you know, when I started my coaching journey, Caleb, we, we both studied at the same school, and you were always someone that... You probably didn't know it at the time, but I was watching from the background and I always resonated with the stuff that you would write. There was just something about it. There's not many coaches out there I really resonated with, but I did for so long with you. And that's why I jumped at the opportunity to work with you for a little bit at the end of last year. But Caleb, what I'd love to know is when did this whole journey actually start for you, your personal development journey, your business journey? When was that moment? It was actually before I moved to Melbourne. So uh, on when I got that, when I went to the broadcasting school, I ended up bumping into this guy called Jack Klutz, who was the manager of this thing called the Radio Bureau in New Zealand. It's basically an agency for large uh, enterprises wanting to do radio advertising. And um, I remember he came into the room and he was super charismatic. And I was just kind of captivated by this guy. Like I hadn't really seen anyone that was that charismatic other than my dad. So we call this mm-hmm. thing like, I don't know what what it is, but like whenever my dad goes into a room, it, it like it, he's just super charismatic. And um, I always respected that about my dad. Everyone had nice things to say about him wherever he went. And um, he had a real humble leadership that I think rubbed off on me. But when I met this Jack guy and he came to give a talk at the broadcasting school, he said, uh, he just had the same effect. Like he was so charismatic. I was like, that's interesting. Like that's only the second time I've ever seen that. And so I ended up asking him to go for lunch and we got talking and he said, you know, where do you want to be in five years? And I said, I want the house, the car, marriage. And, uh, and this is before we did any personal development. So I was just, you know, ticking off the boxes of what I thought would make me happy and, and successful. And um, he goes, well, I hate to break it to you, but a career in uh, radio as a DJ won't get you there. And mm. I was like, oh, <laughs> dreams <laughs> blemished. <laughs> like, that's all right. Like, I, I didn't get in the first year, so I spent a whole year preparing and I went to university and I did all this stuff to prepare to get into school. And now you're telling me that my training is not going to happen. Okay. <laughs> and uh, he goes, have you ever considered, why was it? Uh, radio and I said I want to talk for a living and he laughed and he said have you considered sales and uh, I said no and he goes great Uh, meet me here wear your best suit tomorrow at uh, 9.05 so I met him outside the school at 9.05 and he took me on all of his meetings for the day so I got to see what agency sales and radio was like and uh, I fell in love man like that was my first exposure to like a mentor and also like how quickly that can collapse like time and direction and mm. when you're going to pursue something. And uh, I remember specifically, we just got out and I went to go talk about the meeting and he said, don't talk, wait till we get to the car. And I was like, okay. So I got in the car and he said, do you know why I asked you not to say anything? And I said, no. And he goes, it's really good practice to not say anything until you are off the premises of where you're selling. You never know who's listening or who's walking by. And I was like, 
Oh, okay, that's cool. And this was my first real experience of like learning something that I didn't know. And uh, it kind of got me hooked a little bit, a lot. And um, he took me on a couple more meetings and I ended up in the school that you go to, you actually create a radio station. Uh, and so we ran a radio station in Christchurch called Jacked FM, which was targeting, uh, and it was wildly successful, so successful that it stole market share from one of the established commercial stations. <laughs> and so yeah. um, we, at the end of the year, everyone got offered jobs because the radio station yeah. that we got, we created was so successful. And um, so I ran the sales management department and as part of passing the course, this is crazy, right? Part of passing the course, every person had to sell at least $2,000 worth of radio advertising. Now, <clears throat> if you know anything about sales, people are terrified of selling. Um, but I was just coming off this high with Jack. I was like, oh, anything I can touch turned to gold. And um, I ended up selling 20,000 of my own sales. And I got 10 people, which was half the class over the line, sold $2,000 for each one of them. <laughs> and oh. at the time, they were paying 50% commission. <laughs> so nice. about, they didn't pay me out 50% commission because they say 50% commission. Um, okay. you know, assuming that everything's paid and that kind of stuff, but they never thought that anyone would just go and, you know, like <laughs> just go and print money. Cause I was like 50%, I make 50% of what I sell. He was like, yeah, yeah. See if you can sell one. I'm like, I'm not going to sell one dude. Like, <laughs> and I ended up, you know, selling a whole bunch. And so they pulled me into the office and they said, Caleb, we can't actually pay a student $10,000. Um, so here's what we're thinking instead. So they hosted like a party for us and they got some money and that kind of stuff. Uh, but it wasn't anywhere near 10,000, but that's what got me hooked on sales. I was like, wow, I can be in control of my, of my income. But also at the same time, like, look at the power of mentorship. This is crazy. I had a massive mm. head start on everybody in the class because this guy told me these things, installed these beliefs. Like I had the beliefs that sale was easy because I saw Jack do it. No one else saw Jack do it. So they all thought, you know, sales is difficult. And um, that's kind of where it started. And then Jack got me introduced. Uh, it wasn't Jack, actually. It was another guy that I bumped into. <clears throat> uh, same kind of circumstances where he introduced me to like six of the general managers across the country and said, you need to hire this young guy. And um, I actually went to him and I said, <clears throat> they have this radio station. It was a Pacific Island radio station. Um, and I said, I've heard the revenue that it does. I reckon I can double it in 90 days if you give me a job. And um, like, this is young me, right? Like, I, like How old are you at this time, Caleb? Uh, I'm probably 20, not quite 21 yet. So like- <laughs> That's just, ballsy for a 20 year old. Yeah, like full of piss and vinegar, you know, to <laughs> go out there. And this this dude's a big deal as well. Like, um, yeah. he, he actually owned one of the radio stations in Christchurch, so very, very well connected. I was so nervous going in, but I was just like, you know what, I'll shoot my shot. And I remember the stare that he gave me when I when I asked him, and it was like that thousand yard stare that he's probably stared down many executive. And I just <laughs> sat there like a goofy teenager, just be like, yeah, I could do this. And then he cracked a smile and he goes, I don't have a job for you. Uh, I'm gonna make some calls, check your email in a couple of days. And uh, when I, <clears throat> It actually still makes me emotional because it was like, um, it was quite uncommon for a young 
sales rep to get a job because of the the nature of the industry. Like it's a radio sales is full commission. It's absolutely brutal. And um, I kind of got given this moment of grace where he just opened the store for me and I had six offers. And I could have gone anywhere throughout mm. New Zealand. And um, so I chose to go to my hometown of Dunedin. <clears throat> and uh, that's kind of where it started, man. Is um, bit of Jack, bit of this other guy. Um, the only so- reason I don't mention his name is he's, he's quite a big deal just out of respect. <laughs> Okay, fair cool. Yeah. Well, Caleb, what was it about, I mean, because there's lots of people that go into sales type roles and people that you were with, what was different about you and maybe your mindset that allowed you to excel in sales where other people there weren't performing? Is it another long-winded answer, but uh, the... I like the juicy I mean, details, Caleb, so go into it. Yeah. So the first, one of the first days that I had started on this job, I got into the elevator and there was this lady and I remember just vividly, um, she smelled like coffee and cigarettes. So she just gone out for her coffee and cigarette, but right. Really burly lady, um, like really well built. And she just had this like really leathery skin. And, and I just remember thinking that's interesting. Like she looked like a stereotypical salesperson, um, down to the smell and everything. And then, it was my first day and it was a phone sales day and you got a hundred dollars for every sale that you made on the phone. And my boss dropped this stack of like, I don't know what you call it, but they call it the cull list. So it's like a, a whole bunch of April papers stacked together of clients that uh, have not paid their bills or didn't want to like quit on us. Um, they've just been culled. And he said, smile and dial Caleb. And I was like, smile and dial what? He goes, the list. And I was like, <laughs> oh, okay. So my first day, you know, and uh, I get given this list. And uh, he said it kind of jokingly, but he was dead serious. Like it was like, mm-hmm. you know, you talk the big game and you keep. And uh, I ended up making three sales that day, my first day, um, and made $300 and they hand out cash at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And like this is how, like this is old school sales. Um, but I remember specifically looking across the room and seeing this lady that I'd walked in the elevator with and a specific conversation that she was having with this guy and she was abusing him, like telling him that he was a pussy and that, you know, like he needs to do this because she's going to come down there and, and she'll come see him in person and that he has to do it and like harassing him into the sale. And I remember thinking like, I want to sell, but I don't want to sell like that, you know? Mm. And, and I think the, that was part of the reason why, like I wanted to get good at sales is because I kind of almost wanted to prove to myself that like, I want to sell like how Jack, how Jack sold. It was charming and you felt good and it was enjoyable. And I didn't want to sell like her. And because I was in radio sales, that was the norm. Like radio sales is old is old school sales. Like it's, you know, we used to get these, call these people up and then we'd book out a room and then like it was a high pressure sales room. Like it, like oh, it was everything uh, bad about sales. And that's where, I, that's where, that's where I decided to start, you know, and I did really well. Um, like I ended up becoming the top new business rep 
in the region and I became a top performer within that um, within that space by not doing it the way that this lady had done. And uh, I kind of took pride in that. And so I think, you know, it was a, it was a little bit of stubbornness, a, mm-hmm. a bunch of curiosity of like, can it be done different? Like, can, is this idea that I have of how sales could be that Jack showed me, is that actually a thing? Um, and, you know, I didn't have a lot of role models at the time and I just started trying that way, you know, more focused on a relationship sale. And it, it worked for the most part. So that was the difference, Caleb. So it was so Jack's approach was building a relationship. Is that was that the key difference to this other the old school technique? Yeah, well it just it was just more empathetic. You know, like Okay. It, I think the difference would be, you know, this lady was very performative. Like mm-hmm. all these things and all these tactics. When but when I observed Jack, he was genuine and like he was curious and I, that really kind of stuck with me. Like his presence when he sat down with someone, uh, was just real genuine and curious, which has just stuck with me. Like the, this whole time as I sell and, you know, as I've been a coach that, that how Jack did it really stuck with me because it was so profound when he did it with me, when I was having coffee with him, mm-hmm. like when he was joking about the, you know, you know, the DJ won't get you there the way that he delivered it and the way that he listened and like the, yeah, just being on the receiving end of active listening from someone that was so incredibly influential moved me. And I thought, you mm-hmm. know, that would be a great way to, to sell. And yeah, I loved the like diagnostic and the problem solving part of it as well. Like this other thing we used to do is we had this big whiteboard with all of these diagnostic questions. And so you'd call people, you'd bring them in, you'd set up a plan and then you'd match the radio stations with their plan and this kind of stuff. I loved it. I love that there's a yeah. puzzle, solve the puzzle. Yeah. Nice. Well, we're definitely going to dive more into the sales stuff through this conversation because, you know, you're a master at sales. You've got your own IP around it as well, where you've kind of combined some e-disc with some sales, which I'm, I'm want to ask you about but the other thing i also want to just touch on that you've mentioned is how having a mentor allowed you to collapse time tell us about that and what that was like for a you know 20 year old to experience well that that was the thing that really blew my mind early so there was three people there was the guy that owned the radio station there was a sales rep called gabriel who was at the time making about ten thousand dollars a month and to me, as you know, a student, that was like, whoa, like those numbers exist. Like that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. And that we were having coffee and he was just showing me like the earnings report in the last 30 days of all the different reps. And there's these people at the top, like earning $60,000 a month. Um, and I was like, that's so crazy. And it was just this expanding of what I thought was possible. And I think there's something magical in that when you get the right mentor, it it really shifts perspective of what you think is possible because i think in order to create something different you you need to borrow somebody's certainty and faith and if we use this podcast for example like i was just like it's easy like oh like what are you waiting for and then you get to borrow that certainty mm-hmm. of like it can be easy and then you can just go and do it and i think that's the magic of mentorship that collapsed time is it can be difficult to get to that belief on your own because we often know what we need to do. And this is something that I talk about my coaching all the time. It's like, 
we know what we need to do. So why aren't we doing it? Mm. And I think that's the power of mentoring and coaching is like, well, let's dig into why you're not doing it. So the big thing there was borrowing your mentor's belief and faith before you've built your own. Yeah, I think that'd be one. The other thing is you can never see yourself through somebody else's eyes. So we get so used to seeing our problems in the day to day that we actually think that they, you know, that's the way that it is. It becomes so mm. rehearsed in our mind that we believe like that is the way that it must be. And then it takes someone who doesn't have that kind of filter of reality. They look at it and they go, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> Why is that mm. there? Get rid of that. That's, that's not helping you at all. And it can be so cathartic. I mean, I had this client the other day that I was working with and, you know, these two pieces to it. So we were talking about the internal stuff or we we're talking about sales stuff and, um, we're going through a process that I have and it goes, I've done this before a hundred times. And I was like, you've never done it with me. And he goes, okay. okay. And so like he leaned into it and then immediately we found what was wrong. Like he was converting 20% of his appointments and it, we, he had a very specific clientele, which created a specific pattern that I just recognized in five minutes and said, if you change this, your conversion will double. And sure enough, mm. he gets off the call and signs two clients, you know, <laughs> to him, he didn't yeah. even realize that that was the problem. Like it's just so far out of what we don't know. Um, so yeah, I think it's, you can never see your problems through somebody else's eyes. And I think, yeah. And whatever the first one was. Mm. Yeah. The belief in the faith aspect. Ah, uh, yeah. And the belief in the faith, like yeah. again, you know, like I see you can double your yeah. conversions. So he doubles his conversions, you know, like, yeah, it's, I think that's the magic of it. Yeah. And it's so true. It's, it's mentorship and coaching. It's just such a powerful way to collapse time like you've shared as well. And for anyone listening to this podcast, if you don't have a mentor, you don't have a coach, you know, it's look for those people out there who you can who you can work with, who you align with to learn from because it is, it's one of the secrets to, or it's, the, it's a shortcut to success. You, you still got to do the work, but it helps having someone in your corner who can see your blind spots. And, you know, that's mm. what you did for me on the podcast as well as a couple other things. Mm. Now, for you, Caleb, so you started to enjoy this, sales skill and you you know you worked you developed it from an early age how did that then lead into the personal development and the coaching journey that you were on for a long period of time so i i ended up progressing my career and i got headhunted for a second job that was out of radio sales uh, thank goodness because that industry is is tough but it's interesting because i think that's what i think starting in such a tough environment such an uncertain environment is what made me more um, like capable to deal with the uncertainty that entrepreneurship provides. And one of the things that I say all the time is like in entrepreneurship, we get freedom, but we trade certainty for it. So the price mm, of entrepreneurship so is uncertainty. Yeah. And yeah. if you can't handle uncertainty, then you don't get as much freedom but the price of the freedom is uncertainty. And so I eventually ended up in a different job and it might've been 21, 22, um, much more stable income, had a company car, had a girlfriend at the time, um, closer to six figure earning potential. And then mum and dad helped me get a house. So they went on as guarantors uh, to get a house. And 
I remember ticking off all these boxes and kind of, it, it was just after I brought the house, right? I put the key in the door and I was sitting on my bedroom, uh, the lounge floor going, oh, <laughs> okay. Girlfriend, car, house, job. Why do, why do I not feel anything? Mm-hmm. And um, that was really concerning because I'm 22. I had this whole plan in front of me, and then nothing. Mm. No fulfillment, no enjoyment. And it was kind of the first time that I'd realized that I had lived a success that was prescribed for me, not of my own. And um, because this is what I thought success was, this was what society said it was, but there was no meaning. Like there was no meaning. I was working for a, a deal company, kind of like a Groupon in New Zealand. There's no meaning in my work. Um, and <laughs> a less resourceful strategy, I um, at the time, the company had said they had started downsizing, so they combined my region into somebody else's region. So I basically had two jobs. And I said, I'll do this, but if I hit the targets, I would increase in my salary by X, because it made sense, right? Because you know they lost mm-hmm. someone doing $60,000 a year, so I said, I want a fraction of that to do two jobs. You still save money. And so I pulled it off. Yeah. And then they reneged on the deal. And so I said, fuck you. And I resigned <laughs> immediately. I said, I'm not going to work here. I've got to figure something else out. And um, yeah. what I didn't really know at the time was that was kind of like what they call in the e-myth, like the entrepreneurial seizure, where you go, I can't work for someone else anymore. Like, they screwed me. I worked my ass off. Like I was working, it's a four hour drive from Dunedin to Queenstown and I was managing two regions. So the lower half of the South Island of New Zealand was all me. And uh, Mm. I worked my ass off and then they did this and they just didn't care. So yeah, it it was a bit of a tricky time. Um, Luckily I had rented out the house so that the mortgage was paid, but I spent the better part of 90 days just kind of soul searching. In that time, my relationship kind of imploded because um, I wasn't particularly happy there. But realistically, she wasn't happy with me. I wasn't a wasn't a great person to be in a relationship with back then. I was very selfish, very childish, very boyish. And um, it wasn't until my nana said around Christmas, she was like, "What are you doing with your life?" And she kind of snapped me out of this funk that I'd been in, and. Um, I was like, you know what, why don't I just move to Australia and start again? You know? And so I started applying for jobs and um, my mom was great. Like she, she she was like, what would you call them? Like my own recruiter. <laughs> so she would like scout the websites and be like, apply for this one, apply for this one, apply for this one. I've submitted your CV and your cover letter. I'm like, okay. And so I ended up landing a job in Melbourne. Um, but funny, like I had been shortlisted to the final two, I think three times and didn't have any luck. I got keep getting pipped at the post. It wasn't until I booked my flight and I said, you know what, I'm going anyway. I'm gonna sleep on my mate's couch. I'm gonna be there. The day after that happened, I got a call back and offered a job. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it was weird. It was not until I'd been like, ah, screw it, I'm going. And uh, so I landed in Melbourne and then shortly after I was in Melbourne, I got exposed to my first personal, proper personal development event and had a massive breakthrough. Like, intervention style they set up this game 
where you're like blindfolded and you're supposed to crawl through a maze. And I got disproportionately angry. And so she pulled me up out of the game. She's like, why are you so angry? It's like, because the fucking game is stupid. And um, she's like, it's not about the game. Who are you angry at? And so we had this whole thing and got to the core of it. And then I just felt so good afterwards. I just felt so calm. And, and I was like, wow, okay. So that's personal development, right? <laughs> and uh, okay. shortly after, an ad popped up for the Coaching Institute. And um, yeah. I attended one of their events. And I just remember thinking at the time, like, what I didn't love about my old job was like, it wasn't helping anybody, but there was no meaning in it. It was just, you know, now I was selling content marketing services, right? So I was selling this company that had a team of writers that would write blogs to boost uh, traffic to websites organically through SEO. <laughs> so there's no meaning in it. And then I realized like, this could be a vehicle, you know, this, this, I could have both worlds here. Like, even if I made, this is hilarious, even if I made $5,000 a month, I could leave my job. It might be mm -hmm. 4000 I think I did the math. I was like, even if I made $4,000 a month, I could leave my job. At $500 a month, that's only X amount of clients. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. And uh, it yeah. kind of gave me the, the vehicle to my dream. Mm, so, it's okay. So, coaching was your ticket to a life of more meaning. Still be able to apply your skill set, but more meaning where it wasn't just mundane stuff, and you could actually help people and make an impact. Yeah, well, it was a bit of a a bit of a shallow understanding at the start, you know, like because this was 2016, this was you know seven years ago. But what I didn't realize was the coaching business was not necessarily for other people; it was for me. So what I mean by that is, as I built that business, it was it was bringing stuff up in me that needed to be healed. And I still had a lot of proving that I needed to do. And that was what the business was based on. It was, it was a look at me proving blah, blah, blah. Um, I need to be the center, my own significance. It's still, I thought it was of service, but it wasn't, it was still me centric. And it's not a judgment on my old self. Like I think it's an important phase to go through is, is oh. to go through the phase of it has to be about me, it's meeting my needs. But the business will truly evolve and will truly be meaning when it extends past you know, just you. And I think, uh -huh. you know, at, at the start, it's easy to believe for other people, but if we're being really honest, it's just to meet your own needs of freedom and lifestyle independence. And, and I ended up leaving my job in 2017 and I did 96K in 90 days. Um, I just declared this thing called the 90 day hustle and I went live every was day. Was this, Caleb, how early in your coaching journey was this when you did the 96K in 90 days? Uh, so I, it was June, 2016, I did Fox and then it was March, mm -hmm. 2017 that I left my job and I started the 90 day hustle. So that would have been the first year. Wow. It's um, yeah. So that was revenue. It wasn't cash collector. I think cash collector was around 45K. And um, yeah. it was just a bunch of longer term contracts that I just got mm. through networking and, and stuff like that. Um, that's what's well, significant as well, Caleb, because you know, I've, I've known a lot of people in that industry as well, students, and not many people get that kind of result in their first year. It's pretty rare. Do you, do you feel that's because of your sales background gave you a bit of a leg up or what, what do you think it was for you? 
Yeah, a thousand percent. So there was a couple of things. I had a fantastic mentor. His name, Darcy Smythe. And um, mm-hmm. so he was a sales mentor. I'd originally hired him to improve my sales results at the job that I was in. And um, he calls himself a sales mentor, but the dude's like a wizard in terms of his like thinking ability. So he, he just mm-hmm. developed m- my business mind and the way that I see problems and the way that I think and the way that I coach. And um, I believe that became my greatest asset. So now, like a lot of my business is just referral because of results that I've gotten people because he taught me to be so obsessed about the craft and the how to think. But I certainly mm-hmm. would say that like, the uncertainty that I'd gotten used to in the full commission role when I was in radio really helped this phase of, of my business. And that being said, like I, I was, it, this was in the time where like your Facebook lives could reach like a thousand people. I get a thousand people watching a live on social media. So it was kind of, I think there was a couple of factors that really helped. The first one was social media was just especially Facebook was going nuts bananas at the time. Mm. Um, I was celebrating my success a lot in the coaching Institute. So they kind of put me up as a poster child. Um, so I had a lot of speaking gigs and I also think in terms of market cycles, like we were going through a boom in the coaching space. Like it was top of the market, like high disposable income. People were just spending willy nilly. And so there are a lot of factors that contributed to that. But the other thing that I don't think I talk about a lot was before that 96K came in, I'd done the numbers, you know, so like $10,000 a sale, I needed nine sales or 10 sales or something. And I remember doing the numbers, like if I converted at 30%, I would need 30 pitches, like 30 presentations. And so I had this whiteboard at home and I you know, I write up the days and I write up the numbers and the contacts and the networking and the business cards and all this kind of stuff. And I remember I got 21 no's in a row on the, on the lead up on. to this 96k. Yeah. I got, wow. and it really messed with my mentality. I think the third, like the third day after leaving my job, I spent the whole day in bed. I was just like, what have I done? This is awful. <laughs> I hate this. And um, and I, I had good evidence before this that it was possible because I'd had my first $10,000 month in revenue in the November before I left. And um, my boss at the time when I was working gave me a lot of confidence because he said, and, and like, this is just the story of my life. Like, I've had so many great moments of grace uh that i you know i'm actually in the process now of just figuring out where to attribute that you know like Mm. it it feels like there's somebody that's had a hand on the direction of where i'm going and so this boss said to me at the time and i was doing really well at this new job i loved it actually it was a startup culture and really enjoyable work but i was coaching full-time as well so this was this was march 2017 I was taking two calls in the morning, one call at lunch and two calls in the evening because I needed to get my pro bono hours up. So like I was like, I need to get to a hundred hours as soon as possible. So I was coaching, coaching, coaching. And um, he pulled me aside one day after I just landed Mercedes in Melbourne. And he goes, you're absolutely crushing in here. You have a really bright future. I can see you leading up a team in London. Um, You have everything that takes to be successful. 
but your focus is split. And I can't ask you to leave or to make that decision, but I just want you to look around and just see your teammates here and just see if their focus is split. And I was like, it's not. And he goes, do you think it's fair on them, you know, as hard as you're working, that you are 50-50? And he goes, I ask you another yeah. question. Do you think it's fair on your clients, your coaching clients, that your focus is not 100% on them? I said, no. He goes, so you do need to make a decision. I'm not going to ask you to leave. I don't want you to leave. But you do need to decide. <laughs> you know, like these, it's these moments of grace that just kind of get me all emotional because without him in that position, with that level of empathy and understanding and leadership, I probably wouldn't have left. Mm-hmm. Um, well, spoiler alert, I left. Because <laughs> I <laughs> And uh, my mentor yeah. said to me, he's like, you're at a bifurcation point, Caleb. You either choose to break mm-hmm. through, break down, or distract. Mm-hmm. So breakthrough being, you know, follow the dream, break down being cry about it, don't do anything, distract, you know, just kick the can down the road. But you have to make a decision. You're at the fork. So a, dis- a non-decision is still a decision. And so I said, well, I'm not going to give up my dream. And I handed in my resignation on the Monday. And um, mm-hmm. that's when the challenge kicked off. And, you know, that's when I hustled for 90 days. But I think what people don't see is like they see the number and they go, that's impressive. And like, yeah, but you didn't see the work. Like I was, mm. and I'm a fan of working hard. I'm a fan of working hard, hard and smart. But at that time it was, it was an obsession. Like I was so terrified of flying home to New Zealand and, and having to start my life all over again that I was obsessed mm. about making it work. So I was networking three days a week, you know, like coffee chats every day, like, Oh, you know, yeah. I, if I had a, <laughs> if I had a fraction of the motivation of that guy had back then, now, <laughs> like I, I joke about it all the time, and and you know I've come to realize like the values are different now. Like I'm a dad now. I had mm. nothing but me back yeah. then. You know, like I could yeah. work from you know eight in the morning through to twelve at night, and not a care in the world, not a single disruption. But now that I'm a dad. It's just you know the, the values shift. I don't want to work that hard. Mm. So. Mm. And you're not about that these days, you know. Your, your whole podcast is called Effortless. Yeah. So, it's, so <laughs> which is which we'll get into because there's some things I want to dive into with you shortly. But before we go there, Callum, when you had that 96k in, in 90 days, amazing result for where you're at in your journey. Could you handle that level of success at the time or did you find self-sabotage patterns starting to creep in? Like what what happened for you when you saw that result and experienced that result? Well, the thing that scared me was at the peak of that, I experienced the same feeling that I felt back home in New Zealand was far out with the meaning. And um, mm. that's what led me to the emotional body work that I do of, of, of understanding, what do they call it? It's like the family therapy model. Um, mm-hmm. And through the coaching institute, they call it the trine of self-esteem and, um, yeah, like identity and the tribal cycle for those that are listening. They're like, what are all those things? It's effectively like the long short is we get typecast into a specific role based on our family structure. And so mm-hmm. some of the common roles that we have are things like the hero or the good boy or the good girl or the black sheep or the rebel. And each one of these has a, has a different kind of 
coping mechanism that they perceive as success. So the heroes are driven by you know, external validation of am I successful, blah, blah, blah. The good boy, good girl is the validation from others, like are you being good, um, and so on and so forth. And um, so what I realized was like these goals that I was setting was not from me. It was from the role that I was playing. So like the hero was trying to be successful for everybody else for them to be like, wow, you're so successful. And so you, I could never find fulfillment in that because that's not internal. It's fleeting. It was an external validation. So there was, it didn't matter what I succeeded in. I was never going to feel successful. And the other pattern that I had was like, I couldn't be successful for too long without a problem. And so the hero needs a damsel. And so, you know, I would, I would find a way to create a damsel. And early on in my journey, I tried to create that damsel in my relationship with my now wife. Uh, and then when I decided I wasn't going to do that, I chose my business <laughs> and then like so on and so forth until I stopped playing this, this identity of the hero, which, you know, could be a whole podcast on its own. But I think this uh. is, I think this is so, something for people to be aware of. Like if there's not a sense of meaning and fulfillment, it may be because some of the goals that have been set have been set for external reasons rather than what's actually important to the person. And mm. this is this is why I think it's important for people to, to think about what success is for them rather than to achieve something that has been set from society of what success is. Because I did that twice and it didn't work. <laughs> and, um, you know, like if you want to skip that pain, then I suggest you do that. But then at the same time, I think there's a real important part of doing it. You know, like mm. sometimes we just have to do these things to, to find out. Uh, and I found out, you know, and that's what really made me go, okay, maybe it's not that. And then even recently, it's starting to shift again. And, um, and you know, this is not something I've really talked about publicly, but it's it's really got me thinking about if it's not me that's doing these things, then what is? Like if I'm, if I'm not the person responsible for these moments of grace, this grand plan, this, all of these things that are happening in my life, then what is? And, um, I think for the last seven years, I've been associating me as that thing. Like I am in control. And re more recently, you know, I had a moment where it just became kind of apparent to me that I'm not in control, that it's not me. And it's been super mm. cathartic because I've built this whole identity around, you know, I am this person and I create this. And it'd be interesting as we talk about the effortless stuff and the four stages of flow and, you know, like what comes through as I talk about that now, because I've been associating a lot of that to like, we do this thing that then influences the mm -hmm. external, but what if that's not the case, you know? And, Mm. might be opening up a bit of a rabbit hole here but it's definitely what I've been considering and looking at like there's a lot of successful people that I've seen um, that attribute their success to some version of a god so whether it's through yes, you know like you know, Muslim or Christianity or something there's a lot of people that are going it's from god and it's really got mm. me thinking and contemplating and you know I, you know, I had a moment 
like a couple of weeks ago, was experiencing a lot of peace from just accepting the fact that maybe it's not me. Mm. And like, what if, what if this, what if there's something more that I don't understand here? So it's kind of opened up this space now where I'm just reconsidering a lot of things of, you know, this grand plan that's happened, all these moments of grace. Like, I can't have a hand in that. I couldn't have had a hand in Jack agreeing to have a coffee for, with me. I couldn't have had a hand in the guy who owned the radio station or my first boss or that lady in the elevator that made me rethink sales or, you know, like there's so many things that I couldn't have had a hand in and um, was me trying to control it all through creating these mental concepts is this, this is just a coping mechanism. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. So like we're, we're totally deep and down the rabbit hole. I'm happy to talk about it. Uh- I, well, I love the rabbit hole because I think it's important. And what, what I'm hearing, and tell me if I'm wrong, is it sounds like you've been cultivating a level of faith in a power that's much bigger than yourself, be that the universe, God, spirit, whatever people want to call it. Yeah. Is that is that that's what we're talking about here, isn't it? Yeah. So I think <laughs> just deciding how much I want to reveal of this journey because it's still super new. But yeah, it's definitely mm-hmm. in a higher power. And I think the way that I had thought about, because I was, I was, I've been really big on like becoming a match for the thing that you want and it shows up Yep. and I've seen it happen yep. so many times that I have a ton of faith that like, if you decide on what you want, you clear the limitations, you match the feeling of what it is, it shows up. Mm-hmm. But this latest realization has added another dimension, which is like, what if you're doing all of that, but it's still not you? You know, like what happens then? And it's just been really fascinating to see how that shuffles everything around. And there's actually a lot of peace in associating it to something else. But it would take a, it's been an interesting battle, like to humble oneself around like, you know, this whole identity of personal development that I've been on has been like, I've created this change and I opted into coaching, which created this change. And it's just asked a new question, which is like, what if you're only the co-creator to that change? And I think in some degree, like, you know, we accept that it's a, that it's a co-creation. And, and I think that's been a lot of my work around becoming a match and manifest and all that kind of stuff. When you add like a, kind of a structure around it, whether it be Christianity or like Muslim or Hindu or whatever. And you start looking at why those things are important to those people. It answers a lot of questions. And it's just been a really fascinating journey for me because like, I got raised uh, Christian and I decided like, I don't want anything to do with that. And then as I've gotten older and I've become a dad and I'm just watching society and one of the things I think Jordan Peterson said that I thought was really interesting was one of the things that helps keep society together is a common creed. So a creed is a set of values that we all agree on uh, that can help us move move forward. And that's what society is built on. Without the creed, we're in complete anarchy. Mm. And I've just kind of noticed over the last decade or so that the creed has been somewhat eroded. And it's more of an anything goes type understanding and I'm not one to persecute anybody and I'm not here to judge and say what's right and what's wrong, but I've just found it curious that there are, there are certain ideologies that 
will disagree with the status quo to tear it down, but they don't put anything in its place. So we're creating Mm -hmm. anarchy. And what I noticed about the major religions is they offer a creed or a set of values that large groups of people agree on, which is what can keep society in a somewhat civil and, and organized manner is because, oh, this is the creed. What creed is right? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm not a theologist. You know, I'm not a, you know, I don't profess to be the person who has it all together, but it's just interesting patterns that I've noticed. And this is what I do. I just notice patterns. And, um, mm. you know, when looking at these patterns and just looking at like, why would people do that? And, and, and the, the interesting thing about the common sets of values was that it's, it seems to give these people peace. And a lot of the people that I've spoken to, they have peace and, um, mm-hmm. Not peace because of when I achieve ABC, but just peace because I know where I am within the structure. So it's still super fresh and I'm still exploring, but it's been a thought that I think is really interesting. And I I doubt that I'd be the only one that might be thinking this, especially when you look at society and you go, well, what's the answer? You know, because there's some things happening in society that we either agree with or we don't agree with. And so how do you solve things like that? And uh, I think a, a common creed, wherever that comes from, whether it has to be within a religion or not, I think that's a really good place to start. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I've, I've been on a similar journey myself, I would say. You have a bit of a faith spiritual journey and trying to work out all of this. And I feel like whatever it is you believe in, whatever the higher power is, whatever religion it is, I, I feel like it's just, it's helpful because the thing like if I'm thinking about my journey so far, it kind of took it a bit big weight off my shoulders because I felt like it was all on me. Mm-hmm. I was responsible for every result. But then when I realized that there was bigger powers at play, it's like, oh, it just, it just lifted this load off me and I felt like I could operate with more faith and trust yeah. and step into that uncertainty and that unknown to a to a deeper level. And I, you know, I've studied so many successful people over the years, Caleb, and read all the books and faith. Is one of because I, I noticed patterns as well. Faith always comes up, always comes up, and there's got to be something to that. So it's I, I love hearing your story unfold and, and where you're at right now. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I might get in a bit of trouble for this, but the person that made it apparent to me was Andrew Tate. Mm. So I was watching an interview okay. uh, of Andrew Tate and this guy called George Jankos on this podcast, and George is uh, Christian, and Andrew Tate is Muslim. And he was just talking about why, like, why, why religion? Why is it necessary? And he just presents rational arguments for, like, you know, one of them is if we consider all the evil in the world, there's a lot of bad shit that happens, and we consider the law of equal and opposite force, what is the thing that can counteract all the evil? Because it can't be one human, you know, like, Mm. there's not one human that is so good that would counteract all the evil in the world or the evil in the world, then what is it? And that's why he, you know, he goes, well, there must be a God. There must be because equal and opposite force. Mm. (laughs) I sit there laughing to myself and I go, imagine if one day, you know, like I declare some kind of religious, you know, affiliation and then, they asked me my testimony and I'm like, I was listening to Andrew Tate. <laughs> 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 Controversial. Yeah. And then like, 
I'm one of those people that if society says don't listen to someone, I'll go listen. Not necessarily because I want to prove that they are right or I subscribe. It's like, I like to think for myself, you know, like I, I like mm. to make an assessment based on my own facts and my own thinking. And like, there's an enigma around it. Like, why, why has he captured so many young men? Like, why? What is it? Like, I, and so, you know, like, you know, people might be turned off by this already because Caleb listens to Andrew Tate, but I encourage them to think a little deeper. It's like, it doesn't necessarily mean I support all the things that he says. I'm curious about why has it happened? What is the enigma of Andrew Tate? What has it stirred within society? The same as Trump. Like, what was it in society that that people gravitated towards Trump? Are you not curious? Do you not want to, like... Mm like figure out like because it's not he hasn't captured one or two people he captured shit loads of people so why is that like why is it a thing it, to me it fascinates the shit out of me like anyone like that mm. you know, i think tucker carlson interviewed interviewed vladimir putin and i watched the whole episode and not because i care about vladimir putin or i have specific political views about what he does or doesn't do but i'm like where else can you listen? You know, like what makes him tick? Like, it, like if, if you take all the politics away, like what made him decide that war was a good idea? You know, like, like these are questions that I, <laughs> I don't know if I'm the only one thinks, but like it, it, it just fascinates me. I'm like, what makes someone who decides the things that they're doing, whether they're good, bad or whatever, what makes them think that that's a thing to do? So. And you know what, Caleb, this is why you're such a, an amazing coach, because you think about these things, you think about what makes people tick and their behavior. You know, I've, I've done one-on-one sessions with um, Caleb before, guys. Uh, I've, I've worked with a lot of coaches. Caleb's one-on-one is arguably the best one-on-one session I've ever had. He's, he's a master at what he does. He's really, really good. So I feel like it's this curiosity that you bring to, to human behavior and how people think that makes you so masterful in your sales and also in your coaching. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I wish, I honestly wish more people could lead with curiosity. There's a really good example mm. of this recently. I think there's this guy called Destiny who was like an ex-gamer streamer who would be considered on the left. And he's interviewing mm. um, Ben Shapiro who would be on the right. And there's a guy hosting it and they're just talking and exchanging ideas. Nobody's yelling. Nobody's getting triggered. Like they're, it's really interesting to watch because like they'll say something and he'll write notes and then he'll respond and then he'll write notes and he'll mm. respond. I'm like, where is that? Like, where is that discourse mm. that it just, it doesn't happen. Um, so I, I honestly think, I don't know why we're down this rabbit hole, but social media is the reason because it, <laughs> it rewards polarization. You know, like if you check the comments of any video, yeah. it's like, someone's like, I like bananas. And they're like saying, Oh, you think oranges are bad? Like, no, I didn't say that. I just yeah. said I like bananas. So, yeah. 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 Good old social media. Actually, I, I was talking to Tom Cartwright on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, Caleb. We went down the social, uh, social media rabbit hole as well. So it's definitely a, a, a big rabbit hole in and of itself. But we won't go down that one yeah. on today's episode because there's so much more I want to unpack with you. And I feel we've gotten a little bit off the origin story, but I feel like this could be a good segue to go into this other conversation I wanted to have with you. I was listening to a podcast of yours a few months back and I re-listened to it just recently in preparation for this call. And you spoke about 
the conscious game versus the capitalist game. And that episode blew me away and it was just hit me in the face. I was like, oh, I've been conditioned to play by the wrong game and I'm actually more of a conscious game person versus a capitalist. I would love to dive this into, into this with you because I feel like this can really help some people out there that may be playing by the wrong rule set. Yeah, so this was originally from a guy called John Keogh and he has a he was actually, interestingly enough, the first author that I ever read, a personal development book. Uh, someone gave it to me and um, yeah, he was the first author. Then he came back and I saw this book called The Quantum Warrior by John Keogh. And um, the idea is that this kind of two sets of entrepreneurs and I'm going to use these words, but I don't want them to have negative connotations. So like we can say that there are mm-hmm. entrepreneurs that have less empathy and entrepreneurs that have more empathy. And I think the, the two categories would, the less empathetic entrepreneurs would be ones that are, I would say capitalistic and there would be ones that were more conscious. So capitalistic means like acquisition at all costs. And I would, also categorizes as old school sales. So old school sales is very capitalistic yeah. in the way that it is. It's like, I'm going to win the deal at all costs, always be closing, push, 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 et cetera, et cetera. There's not a lot of empathy in that. Yeah. Versus uh, a more conscious approach, which has an empathy, understands that we're talking human to human. It, it, it doesn't necessarily need to use, you know, that kind of manipulation to, to get things done. And the idea of the two games is that traditional marketing has been taught and also traditional sales has been taught as a capitalist game. And it's important for us to know which category that we are in, whether we consider ourselves more empathetic or, I mean, if you're listening to this already, you're probably in the empathetic category because uh, this conversation is uh. it's probably more woo and more feminine and the capitalistic folks, they don't tend to absorb this kind of information as much. Um, and I think the other thing to notice is you can transition. So I would say, when I started, the me focused, always closing, my needs, build the business, 96 day, 96K in 90 days, that was a capitalistic version of me. And then as I went through that and I started doing some healing, I probably went too far the other way. So I became too uh, feminine in my approach to business, not enough structure, lots of magical thinking about like, you know, just manifesting it will come, et cetera, et cetera. And so, it's really important that people know which camp that they're in and then they abide by the specific rules of the specific game. So if you are a empathetic person trying to play by capitalistic rules and apply capitalistic tactics like cold DMs, cold emails and uh, friend farming, and you've done those things and they haven't worked, what tends to happen is those conscious people, they tend to blame themselves and shame themselves for like, oh, well, it didn't work. I'm like, it might not be that it didn't work. It might be that you found out that it's not aligned for you. And one of the things that I'm super passionate about is like, you've got to, you've got to almost know the capitalistic game, but you've got to know which are the, the, the tactics within that game that are going to work for you. So it's like, know the game, apply the things that work for you. So if cold DMs don't work, how can you find strategies that still have the structure of the capitalist game? Because you still need to acquire clients. You still need to do marketing. You still need mm-hmm. to learn how to sell. But where can you find the tools, the resources, the mentors that are able to, to ground those capitalistic tactics in a conscious way? So I think the, mm-hmm. you know, the best way to 
understand this is I call this integrated business. So mm-hmm. like for the longest time, my strategy in business has been produce content that speaks to my people, but I'll never cold DM or cold email people. And a really good example of this is I found the software recently that um, manages to go and find and add people on Facebook and so that I'm constantly getting connections so that my content can speak to them. I won't go cold message those people, but I understand that I need to acquire customers. So I'm going to use a piece of software from the capitalistic world, ground it in my empathetic style, which is I'm never going to cold DM. I'm just going to offer value and I'm going to speak to people, but I'm going to let the software bring those people to my feed. Um, and I think, you know, this, this is remnant of a capitalistic strategy, which is cold DM, you know, and you get them all the time. It's like, Hey, are you looking for client yeah. clients in the next 10 days? It's like, no, if you just add it somewhat and they just yeah. let your content do the talking, then you would actually probably have a grounded strategy. So understanding the two yeah. games, then understand, understanding how they integrate them together is probably the key because hmm. I think we can truly beat ourselves up a lot when we measure ourselves by the capitalistic rule book. And hmm. if you're watching this and you've been like, yeah, I agree with that. It's like, so just take note of the things that haven't worked for you and then observe hmm. like, what are the things that actually need to happen? Cause you do need to acquire clients. You do need a system for that. You know, and this is a great example, like this podcast, is an example of a system that builds top awareness of the funnel for people to get to know the people here, to get to know Daniel, associate expertise and that kind of thing. So it's a capitalistic uh, tactic that is grounded in something that Daniel enjoys. And so it's, it's mm-hmm. it, it, and, and that's the thing. It's like pull together the pieces that feel good to you and build the strategy around that. And this is what I would call like an integrated business. Yeah, I love that because I was very much capitalistic before as well and I was taught all those business tactics and I did, you know, I've done all the cold DMs, 100 offers and yeah, all that kind of stuff before and it just never felt aligned for me. Like I, I could do it and push myself to do it but I always felt a bit gross after and, and the results were never that great. I know it works for some people and that's when, yeah, working with other people like yourself, listening to that podcast episode and other people in my world that are much more of the conscious uh, playing the conscious game, I was like, yeah, this is definitely much, much more me, but I've been able to, I guess, like you say, integrate them together. But one question I did actually have was in the capitalist game versus the conscious game, what's the difference in how we actually measure ourselves and our results from your thinking? So I would say the capitalist game is going to feel more predictable. So, and I think, and I, I would say Alex Hormozzi is probably responsible for this where in his latest like book launch, yeah. he talks about hundred million dollar leads and you'll see this yeah. in a lot of capitalist businesses. Like, you know, if you send down a hundred emails, you'll get one lead. And so I think it gives the illusion of certainty and predictability, which is what is so seductive about it. Cause people are like, I want the certainty and I want the predictability. And I think there's other ways to get it that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to, you know, cold DM and spam and that kind of stuff. But then on the other hand, you might have more fulfillment and flow from a conscious style. And the conscious style is things like 
manifestation and attraction and that kind of thing, which can turn some people off. So they, you know, if it does turn those people off, then they're probably more capitalistic. And, and so that capitalist game and strategy is going to work for them because they don't want the more feminine yeah. side of the business. And okay. I think the payoff is like, you might feel better about the business, but it goes slower and it's a lot less predictable. And I think that can be solved eventually. Like there, there'll be, there'll be more and more people that are talking about how to have both. Uh, and I think it's, it's probably a disruptive thought right now to, to think that you can integrate some of the more esoteric concepts with business and put them together. And, and even just the understanding that like, it's not a one size fits all. So like most business coaching is mm. you need to do what worked for me in order to be successful. That's a crazy yep. statement when you say it out loud, like mm-hmm. you need to do what worked for me to be successful. And how can you be sure that like everybody that joins is going to be successful with your system? And I think yep. that, you know, that, that that's the thing that blows me away is like business coaches who are like, you must do it this way. And I think humans mm, are more complicated yep. than that. So we pay with the uncertainty when you're doing it in a more feminine way. I think there's a way to have both. Um, and that is picking the strategies from the from the capitalistic world that that makes sense to you, and doing them in a way that feels sustainable and replicable over time. Mm, yeah, I love that because I feel like I've had people on this podcast that are more the capitalist background, and some that are more the conscious background, like yourself. And I feel like I'm very much an integration, mm-hmm. and in like my the work I do, I really want to integrate both parts because I know there's not one size fits all. It's not do this strategy. You have to do this strategy to get this result. And I would always rebel again. Whenever people have told me that, like I know you've got to listen to your mentors, but when people tell me that, I'm, there's a there's a bit of a rebel in me sometimes, and like <laughs> I just know that's not not the way for me. But Caleb, if someone's listening to this and they're aligning more with the conscious type, because maybe they've been playing this capitalist game this whole time and been wondering why they've been feeling like shit when strategies don't work for them and it just doesn't feel good. How does one start playing the conscious game? Well, to play the conscious game, you have to accept the presupposition that the reason why we don't have what we want is because we haven't dealt with the reasons why we don't want it. So there's a saying where we only have a problem because we perceive we need to have the problem. So the conscious game accepts that whatever next level that hasn't happened yet, there's a good emotional and internal reason why that hasn't happened. On some level, you're trying to protect yourself from what that next level might uh, involve. And if you think about our level of self-esteem right now, if the business was to double or if you were to have more exposure there would be more opportunities for people to potentially see that you perceive that you're a fraud or you're not all together or you're not good enough. And so this creates a really good reason to keep things the same. And this is the premise behind conscious is like all the behavior you're doing, whether it's sabotage, procrastination, it's keeping you in the same spot because on the other side of the journey towards what you want is risking a bunch of things that feel deeply unfamiliar and uncertain. And so what the conscious game focuses on is it focuses on an internal uh, change first. So we're going to deal with the stuff that might be holding us back. So let's take the podcast, for example, something that we know we need to do. Why aren't we doing it? 
and not just brute forcing ourselves through the why aren't we doing it? It's well, let's coach. You know, let's let's see what what was the perceptions, what was the feel, like what's going on that meant that it feels. And it usually comes down to like it's either too uncertain. I don't want to risk those feelings. It feels a degree of unsafe, or like I don't want to be seen. And like this is not、mm. Daniel specific. This is all people on, on like, why am I not taking the action to the next level? On some level, that next thing feels unsafe. So the conscious game would start looking at well, why is it unsafe? Great question to ask yourself is like, if there was a great reason for me not to want this, what would it be? If me、mm. staying the same, how is it keeping me safe? Like, where is the safety? That is that I'm in now. What am I afraid to lose if I do go for that thing?、Mm. Okay, so it's so it's really the the capitalist game. It's the the external approach, whereas the conscious game is the internal approach. And something you said on your podcast, I believe, was you've got to become an energetic match for what you want. Yeah, look, I think that podcast would probably say it better than I did because I made good notes, <laughs> and I'm just ripping. <laughs> so. But yeah, so yeah, one of the things、yeah. that the conscious gang believes is like it's more of a feminine, more of a manifestation process. So if you had two people and you said, "How do I get to the next level?" The conscious gang or the capitalist gang person would say, "You know, I need a, I need a strategy." The conscious person would、okay. say, "I'm going to attract it, become a match for it." The integrated person would、okay. say, "I'm going to do both." And so、uh. this this is why I think it's you know because it can be super easy when you play the conscious gang to go too far. To the not enough structure, not enough action,、yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a good middle ground. So, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. And one of the things that you also said on that one, which I liked, and actually I implemented myself for a period of time. I got to get back into it though. It was a good reminder when I was listening to it again. Is actually, you know, you, you shared a strategy where you would send yourself a WhatsApp message when. You know, miracles or things that you couldn't have planned just show up in your life. Just to because 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 with the conscious approach, you were saying it requires a level of faith and trust in uncertainty and not knowing how an outcome is going to happen. Yeah, tell us tell us more about your experience with that. So it goes into my philosophy around, and not my philosophy, but what I believe about manifestation, which seems to be replicated across several different kind of practitioners of it. But the general steps are、mm. decide on what you want, and what you want has a specific emotional frequency. And so, if you think about like what what would excite you right now, what what is it you want to create?、It、could be another couple of clients, could be a specific revenue amount. If you can imagine that and then feel that, that feeling is the frequency. So, like frequency gets thrown around. Like,、mm. what's a frequency? Frequency is just the feeling of what it is that you want to create. So, if it's another couple of clients. Specific revenue goals, whatever. And so, what the conscious game would suggest is like, okay, so think about it, set the intention for it. If you can access the feeling, great, right? And then, you know, you're, you're pretty much almost there.、You've, there's a couple of other steps. If you can't access it, then there's some kind of resistance in the way. So there's some kind of internal blockage. I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. It's not safe to do that. It's too uncertain. Or you have some specific limiting belief that you need to. Investigate and then reframe, and so then、uh, after that, the next thing we we do is we listen and we wait for the inspired actions. So these inspired actions and then this、uh, kind of forced action. Inspired action feels like a pull, 
you'll know that it's something that you need to do, but you're kind of being procrastinating. And it might feel a little bit resistant to do it, but in the general theme, it's kind of, it feels somewhat exciting. But it's, a, it's probably at the same time yeah. scary. Whereas the forced actions are things that feel should and heavy. And these are the capitalistic things like, well, you should do this and you should DM and yeah. you should blah, 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 and you should farm your friends. And so that would be, you know, it's a, you look for the action and then you take those actions. And what I believe is the, the inspired actions that you take, these are the things that build the almost custom strategy that creates your success. So when we're modeling, you know, these capitalistic business coaches, we're modeling their aligned actions. So the aligned actions that mm. felt good to them, that they had stacked over time, that created a strategy. So yeah, some of those might work for you to some degree, but at the end of the day, you've got to find your version of that. And so the conscious game works on the premise of like, you set the intention, you clear the limitations, you keep attaching to the feeling of what it is to have what it is that you want. Attach means just visit it, feel it, imagine. You can use journaling to get you there, visualizations. And then through that, you'll feel a nudge or an inspired action that needs to be done. And sometimes it'll feel really scary, you know, like it could be starting the podcast, whatever. Um, it could be something that you're doing differently, but it usually pops in when you are, when you let go. And a mentor of mine used to call this non-focused focus. So when you're in a space of, you might be talking to a friend and the clock just like goes forward an hour, you're like, whoa, we've been speaking for an hour. And that's a space of non-focused focus because you're not attached, you're present, you're with the other person, you're not hyper-focused on this reality that you're trying to... And would that be called flow, Caleb? Is that another word for flow? Yeah. Or is it different? Yeah, uh, in a sense, I would say it's a part of flow. Like for me, flow has two parts. It mm -hmm. has like the the state in which things are flowing in. Um, and this is probably a little bit of flow, but also presence, I would say. So it's like a, you've let go okay. of the outcome. You've trusted that you've done enough uh, and that it's on the way. And you're, you're almost, you're visiting the feeling to notice what needs to be done next. And the ideas always show up. They're like something will populate like, oh, I could, I could run a class or I could do a live or I have some posts yep. or some inspired ideas. Like there's always something. Um, and so the, the WhatsApp thing that I do, because this is how do you hold faith and trust that you've done enough? And this is, this is the biggest thing about the conscious process is like, how do I know that it's locked in? How do I know that they've done enough? And so it's locked in when you can visit the feeling. So you know what it feels like to have what it is that you want, the couple of clients, whatever, and you're able to let it go and you have enough trust and faith that it's on the way. And that trust and faith, when you first start practicing a process like this, you probably need to work on. So by work on, I mean, you might need to visit your journal every day and be like, I'm so grateful that this thing has shown up. Um, you know, and depending on, yeah, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but so I'm so grateful that this thing has, has shown up. Uh, and you're kind of like speaking it into existence before it's happened. And, it, you know, yeah. it's kind of a little bit delusional because it hasn't happened yet. Um, and so mm. what can really help with that is just recording and noticing all of the times in which you've created something that hasn't been the byproduct of your force. 
And so the WhatsApp thing is I have this WhatsApp chat with myself where I write down, I'm like, oh yeah, remember that client that signed up last month? You had no idea that was coming. You know, and remember that time where that money showed up? Like you had no idea that was coming. And I just record all these moments of where it was delivered, but I wasn't in control of it. And that can help me build mm-hmm. the faith as I reflect on it, go, oh yeah, look at all these months. Look at all the, I didn't remember that thing that happened back in January. That's crazy. Like one of the ones that I often think yeah. about is we took our nanny over to Australia when we got married and we needed a visa and we were running out of time. And they finally looked at it like four weeks before we left. And we're like, ah, oh, she's not coming. You know, like this is crazy. And so we completely let it go, resigned to the fact that it might happen or it might not, willing to be pleasantly surprised. And within a week it was approved, which just by every mm-hmm. metric and everything that we looked online, that made no sense. That should not have happened. And so whenever I think about, you know, is something truly possible, I just think about the impossible visa. Like every time, like, well, that visa should not have happened. In any any sense of the word, that should have never happened. Um, I'm currently working for a friend of mine at the moment. He lost his top closer. So I took on a contracting role of doing some closing. I was saying Donna, like a month ago, I'm like, I kind of want, I want to get back in the field. You know, like I'm teaching sales, but it's been so long since I've been mm. actively in the field in a role. And uh, mm. shows up <laughs> and he wants someone part time, you know, like, because um, I don't want to, you know, I, I still want to keep time with my family and I've got my own thing going on, that kind of stuff. And it doesn't have to be long term. He's like, I just need you to plug the hole when my top close is gone. I'm like, all right, cool. So we can take a short term contract. Um, yeah. So that's that's the list thing is you just record and write down, send a message to yourself and just reflect on it to help you build the trust that like you can do crazy stuff. You can collapse time and create mm. opportunities like the villa that we're saying at the moment. There's a whole story around that. That's just mm. ridiculous. Like, you know, and, and when we yeah. tried to force it, we got nothing. We let it go. And this beautiful place showed up. Mm. I think this is a perfect segue, Callum. Mm-hmm. Trying to force things to happen because the other thing I was really keen to unpack with you is the four stages of flow, which you did another podcast on. Mm-hmm. Now, last week, I was in a place where I was trying to control everything. I was in bad energy. I was trying to force things to happen. Nothing was going my way. It was like the worst week I've had in a long time. Very rare for me these days. And then I was listening to this episode yesterday, like doing my homework for this interview. And I was like, oh, fuck. I was in this first circle resistance. So I feel like this is a powerful model to share with people because it really helped me. I know it can help some other people listening. So... What is the four stages of flow, Cal? So four stages of flow was something I learned from a mentor of mine early about putting some structure to the manifestation process and Mm. to getting an idea of where we are so we can empower ourselves to figure out where we can go, what we need to do next. And so these four stages are, and they kind of happen in order. So when you're thinking about creating something new, you're going to go through these four stages. The first stage is a resistance. That's been so long. Resistance. Trust and faith. That's it. Yeah, trust and faith, uh, super flow and realization. And yeah, I think this must be so integrated now that like I'm (laughs) struggling to even think about it. So resistance is is you might catch yourself in it now. So like if whatever you've decided to, to happen or the moment you decide to create something new, resistance will occur. 
because the purpose of resistance is to bring to the surface the thing that needs to be integrated so that you can have the thing that you want. Mm. And one of the things that I believe is like, the reason why we don't have the thing that we want is because we're not yet a match for the thing that we want. Mm -hmm. And that could be because there's a limiting belief in the way, there's an emotion, there's a story that needs to be changed, whatever. So the purpose of the resistance phase is to bring those things to the surface to integrate them so that you can become more of a match. The other thing mm -hmm. that, that you'll often find is when you hear this model, most of the time you're in resistance. And until you pass the, like each one of these phases, you can't get closer to your manifestation because you need to transition through these stages. And so resistance mm -hmm. just feels like it's hard. It's never happening. I feel stuck. I'm confused. I don't know what to do. Yep. And the first step of getting out of resistance is just to accept it, to go, I am in resistance. It's just to stop, stop pushing, stop digging, you know, just stop. And it, it, what I imagine for my clients is just this, all this mental energy that you're placing on this thing and this concentration, I just want you to let it go just for a couple of days. Mm. Just, just let that focus that's actually giving you a headache. Just let it go, relax it, because we can come back to it. You know, like a couple of days is not going to be the difference between it happening and it, it not happening. You know, just let it go. And this can be really difficult because it's like, but if I'm not involved in the process and I'm not pushing it, how is it going to happen? So there's, there's a degree of you kind of have to trust that if I do give myself just a little bit of grace just to let this reset, then it's going to work out. It's going to be okay. So that first stage of resistance is to accept that I'm in a degree of resistance right now and to just kind of let everything else just be still and just detach. You, you need to remove yourself. You need to stop pushing. Uh, it's almost like if you've been really tense and you've been tensing your muscles this whole time, as soon as you stop tensing, you're going to be sore. So you just, you want to go and rest. Mm. And so one of the things I prescribe in the state is to go have some fun. Go do something that would elevate your state. Yeah. Uh, for me, at the moment, it's it, I just go to the beach. Like I, I, would, I just go take myself out for lunch. Um, it's a solo thing for me. I don't think it has to be the case, but I've done this with Donna and my wife. It's not as effective as if I do it alone. It's like on some level when I'm with Donna, I'm still calibrating her. I'm still in her energy. So I do this as a solo. I'll take myself out uh, for lunch. I'll go sit on the beach and I'll just let it all melt. And I just tell myself, mm. I'll come back to this in a, in a couple of days. I'm just mentally pushing it out of the scope for a couple of days. And so your, your job, once you've accepted the resistance, is to get to a space of kind of neutrality. And in that neutrality, figure out what now? What would excite me? Where, where, where do I, what do I actually want? It's really hard to connect to what we want and what we desire when we're stuck in the in the murkiness of the um, yeah of the crap, and so just taking the time to detach. If you can have some fun, great. If you can have some peace, great. Um, sometimes I take myself to the movies. Uh, sometimes Donna and I will go do an escape room. Um, they've got a shooting range here with like uh, what do you call them, like BB guns. So take us down down to the shooting range, yeah. uh, throwing axes just anything that is not the grind of the normal day stuff. Uh, I would so just go in and have some fun, essentially. Yeah. 
I would go log out of social medias. Yeah. Don't check any of that stuff. Like social media is prime for like oh. getting you into. That killed me last week, Caleb. Because <laughs> like, literally last week, Caleb, I was in this. I was in the resistance and what compounded it so bad, I got into some doom scrolling mm-hmm. and just made me feel like shit. And then I was a bit of a roller coaster. And then what helped me was eventually going to have some fun and not thinking about it anymore. Like <laughs> this second stage that you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, social media is a gift and a curse. When you're in the middle of resistance, mm-hmm. one of the best things you can do is log out. Log out of all of them. Oh, yeah. Like, if you are serious about getting back, make sure you log out because it just, all it is is just constant comparison and uh, it just won't help you make peace. So, so that, yeah, so that'd be the resistance. That'd be how to get out of resistance, have some fun. And then in the fun, you'll probably notice a nudge or a direction or, or something that might excite you. And so uh, then it's time to, to start that process of going, okay, cool. So this is what I want. This is what it feels like. And you're, you're moving into the trust and faith phase where it's like, okay, so I've set the intention, now it's on the way, and I'm going to look for the aligned action. And some of the things you can do in the trust and faith phase to keep the trust is to remind yourself of all the evidence. That's the WhatsApp uh, notes. Uh, the other things you can do is you can just, you can use journaling to revisit the feeling of like, man, it's cool that the thing that I am manifesting has already arrived. Um, and you can, you can just pay particular attention to the uh, aligned actions or nudges that pop up. And the universe loves speed. So when they come, execute. Because sometimes the action can be perfect for that moment. That's the thing that you're supposed to do in that moment. If you left it for a week, it might not be the same right action because someone else might have done it or taken it. So that's just a really good thing to know as well is is look for those aligned nudges and treat the nudges as like individual notes in a melody. So individually, that might not make sense. It's like, oh, I was told to do a Facebook Live, but I don't know where it's going. It's all right, just go do it. And then you know, next week, you get a nudge to do a couple of sales posts. And then someone says to you, well, I watched you live, and then your sales post, and then you know they become a client. So we never really know what the nudges are individually, but they come together as the melody. And you'll know you're in the third phase, which is the superflow phase, which is, it kind of feels like everything turns to gold. Like you have that rush where time collapses, three clients sign uh, in my story of the 96K to 90 days, the nine sales that I made after the 20 no's, that was a super flow couple of weeks. You know, where Everyone I spoke to said I yes. Like, oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Uh, after, you know, 60 days of no's, sure. Um, so that's the super flow phase. It typically goes for seven to 14 days. Don't get too caught up on the details of it in shorter, no stress. But you need to understand this whole thing is cyclical. And so after the superflow ends, uh, you need to get to the, the third phase, which is the reflect and, and recharge uh, or realization, no, reflect and celebrate. And, and in this part, your job is to kind of restore the energy that you spent from going from resistance to manifestation. So you do TLC, uh, like, you know, you go for massages, you go celebrate, you, you, you rebuild that energy and the acknowledgement for what you've done. Because one of the best ways to build self-esteem is to have this internal sense of progress. So noticing the challenges that you overcame, mm. reminding you, yourself of them, and building evidence for those things. So, mm. 
Yeah, and then the other part in that reflect and celebrate is you look back at the lessons that you had to learn or the things that you had to integrate. So what was the resistances really about? What key lessons did you take? And these things create things that I call kind of like cornerstones or foundational blocks that that become a piece in the new version that you're trying to build. So let's say the new version of you is, you know, like $20,000 a month in your business. You need a foundation to build that on. And so every time you go through this four stage process, you're getting a brick and you're placing a foundation of that new identity of that new person to become that person and to make that thing a reality. Mm, I love that. And I feel like that fourth step, you know, the, the celebrate and reflect or, or the other one that name that you had for it is so important. Cause I feel like I've definitely missed this in the past yeah, It's really common to me. where I would hit this big goal. Yeah. I'd hit this big goal or something. It's like, Oh, what's next? Like if it almost feels empty and I don't take the time to celebrate myself, acknowledge myself, actually reflect on achieving something pretty incredible. So I feel like that is such a big one that I've been guilty of missing yeah. <laughs> too many times. So it's a real life example. I have a client. Uh, we've been working together for about mm, four months. His one-on-one is just sold out as of last week. So he has seven clients, one-on-one, and this happened two days ago. And so he messaged me today and he said, I'm going to launch my new program. It's like $1,500, whatever. And I was like, no. (laughs) And he he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, you realize that your one-on-one is sold out? He's like, yeah. Uh And I was like, so you're in like, thank you next energy rather than just thank you energy Uh and uh, and gratitude and uh, admiration for what you've done in four months. Like prior to working together, you struggled to get any clients. Now you're one-on-one is sold out. Uh And we actually have to make a group program because you can't take any more one-on-one clients. Like that deserves a celebration. That is a significant growth milestone. And so he was like straight away into what's next rather than going, Wow, I'm pretty. I'm pretty awesome. Oh damn! Like, look what I've done. And so, we will launch this program, but not before he celebrates himself. And because the energy that he creates in the celebration stage will launch the new program. And this is, I think, mm. a, a reason why people don't celebrate enough is because they don't connect the dots that like the energy that you put into the celebration is half the energy that's going to launch this new direction. It's that celebration energy that gives you your next inspired idea that is the thing that's going to you know, move you further along the process. And when we don't celebrate, we move straight into resistance. So you, know, you could also be in resistance because you haven't celebrated how far you've come recently. Mm-hmm. It's a good reflection for everyone and for myself included, because there's definitely moments that I can think back to where that has happened in the, in the last 12 plus months. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just such a good power, a model. I've never heard that particular one. I've heard other ones, but I hadn't heard that one until I was listening to your podcast the other day. Yeah. So thanks for bringing that up. And you know what, guys, we haven't even got into Caleb's like one of his other masterful skills, which is sales. <laughs> yeah. Because sales, you know, you know, Caleb's a sales. We haven't even we've touched on sales a little bit at the start of your journey, but we haven't even got into it today. So I reckon Caleb, we might actually have to. I might have to get you on another time to actually unpack some of the sales side um, to do justice to that skill set and and mastery that you have. But maybe to finish up the conversation that we're having today. You know, I remember listening to another episode that you had and seeing your newsletter come out where you've actually, you know, you've been life coaching for seven years and you've you've started a new direction 
in the sales space. And I'd I'd just love to know why now, how come, um, you know, what's next for you in this new direction that you're moving towards? Yeah, so I've been doing the life coaching thing for like seven years. And um, for the most part, it's really hard to convince people that the internal journey is the journey. And mm. and this has been something that I've been battling with in my business for the longest time. It's like, how do you market it? Because there's no tangible when you're doing transformational stuff. And all of my best life coaching clients have come from referral. And so basically that was me just deciding that I'm no longer going to do external marketing for life coaching and to become a lot stricter about who I bring in to my world mm-hmm. because it's like, it's a lot, you know, like when you, when you on a journey with someone for like nine to 12 months, like a lot of the clients that have been with me have been with me for over a year and you, I get really invested in my clients. Like I just, I can't help but not like and so when they're working with me like i'm still thinking about that on my days off and this kind of stuff which is why i kept them you know i can't have too many because it consumes me um but for the most part i'm thinking about them and if you end up with the wrong people in that business it sucks like it's 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 really painful and um i just noticed that it's a lot of energy and since becoming a dad my priorities have have shifted quite a lot where when it comes to sales i can deliver it all day every day i could take sales calls all day it doesn't drain me at all i couldn't take an infinite amount Mm. of um, breakthrough sessions with clients so Mm. it's more of an energetic move it's not that i don't love the work and i don't enjoy it like i love it i love working with the right people you know people that have that understand the message that that want to go for an internal first they're paying they're playing the conscious game you know um yeah and and so i i leave that to more of a like referral only type thing uh where someone has you know they've mm. seen something like this and they've gone wow i really resonated with it like great that's how i know that that person is is a good is a good potential client because they found me through an yeah. obscure way and there's a story about this monk mm monk on a mountain and um his address is listed at the bottom of of the mountain and this rich man who's been very successful on wall street comes to seek him out to go find the meaning of life and he treks all this way and he finds his address and um the monk's not there he's not at the bottom of the mountain there's a note that says come to the top i'll meet you there and so the guy climbs up the mountain goes all the way to the top and uh, he finds the monk at the top of the mountain and he goes why do you make me go this way and um why weren't you down the bottom like you said he goes i had to know that you were ready and Mm. you know that's what i feel about the life coaching stuff is if it's if you've gone to the effort (laughs) to track me down uh to listen to something you've been referred by someone that's the mountain you know and and i Mm. i think those clients and it's not to say other clients wouldn't be committed but i just in my experience doing this for seven years the ones that are most committed and the ones that I don't have to convince. They've already made their mind up. Mm-hmm. I want change. I had this guy recently around uh, New Year's. He was the partner of somebody that I was working with. And he just said to me, he said, Caleb, I'm just ready to change, man. I don't want this 
this behaviors that I'm doing. I'm just done with it. Like what, like, let's go, let's mm. do this. I've seen your work with my wife. I love it. I love your relationship with Donna. Let's go, let's do it. And so that's kind of why is like, I, I want to find the people that are in the right moment and those people won't find me because I ran a ad or a post. I mean, I mean you did, but we've known yeah. each other for a while. Um, and mm. you know, and like most people, they, they wouldn't. You kind of accept into the rule, then you you kind of call it that. <laughs> Stalking you for years in the background, and then juicy offer could not say no. <laughs> um, I love that man. So it's more about managing your your energy because I know, like I've guys, I've experienced one on one session with Caleb, and he, you know, it's a big, it is a big thing. And I, I'm a one on one coach myself as well, so it does take a lot of a lot of energy when you work with people. So yeah, I respect the new direction and. Yeah, I think it's cool that you're still going to do that, but it's it just looks a little bit different with the focus on on the sales side, which is one of the other skill sets, which we'll have to do on a on a part two sometime, yeah. Caleb. Well, it still exists. But man, oh, sorry, it, it still exists within the sales world, but it's like, yeah, you know, it'll be at the it'll be at a different end. So, yeah, 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 man. Well, I'm excited for you and. You know, I've loved having this conversation and I'm looking forward to part two where we'll, we'll go into sales stuff because, you know, there's so much other stuff I wanted to unpack. But Caleb, if there's people who are listening to this episode with you, they're really resonating with your beautiful radio presenter <laughs> voice and they want to find out more about the work that you do as a sales trainer, where's the best spot for people to come and find out more about you? Yeah, just go to my website, www.calebthesire.com uh, forward slash bio. And there's uh, just a whole lot of stuff yep. in there. There's a bunch of freebies, some classes. You can book a call for me with me as well. Um, if for whatever reason any of the life coaching stuff has resonated with you and you, you want to explore that, you can you can also book a call there as well. And then just in the questionnaire, just say mm-hmm. you saw it on Daniel's uh, podcast, and then I'll know that you're <laughs> you're climbing the mountain. <laughs> and not, not trying to be in a wanky way, but you know, like I, I hope that lands. You know. Yeah. If you've been doing it as long as I have, um, and then your mm-hmm. priorities drastically shift when you have a have a kid, you, you try to find a way to mm-hmm. make your energy go further, and and that's really what that represents. Yeah, I love that. I feel that. So yeah, Caleb, I'll put that link in the show notes. I'll also link your podcast as well, guys, which is more obviously in the coaching space, but very very useful. I've got a lot of value from it as well. So Caleb. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you for helping me get this podcast up and running. Wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And I wish you all the best with um, what's to come in 2024. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. And cut. Awesome, bro. Thank you for investing your time and energy in today's episode of Money Mastery with Marshy. If you enjoyed this episode, if you received value from this episode, then click the subscribe button so you can be the first to know when new episodes drop. I look forward to speaking with you in the next episode.